Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Shred's Takes. I'm joined today by former Amherst basketball player and my teammate last year, Tommy Mobley. You know, one of the smartest kids I've ever met at Amherst College, also one of the more hardworking kids. He was a member of the Zoom Buys um, and a couple other things as well. And he was big and just like he wrote a huge thesis um, in psychology that you know, he actually had the best thesis at Amherst College in terms of presentation. So, Tommy, thank you so much for joining the show, man. I'm really glad to have you back on. Love what you're doing with this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So just getting into some discussions. So there's a, you know, a huge controversy with the draft this year. Everyone's kind of saying how the draft is not as good. Also the fact that it's a COVID, there's a little bit of a problem with just the fact that we don't really know how good these players actually are. Um, I'm under the impression that the Warriors should look to get a guy like James Wiseman I think they're, they lack a big um, that can rim protect. I don't know how you feel about who should go to the Warriors if you've looked extensively into that, just because they're a team that everyone's expecting to come back and be a contender. Question. And like you just said, I think they will be a contender next year, having Curry, Green, and Thompson. Um, Wiggins is an interesting piece. I think he could fit in well with them. He's also a trade piece, potentially. Um, I think with this pick, they don't necessarily need to draft a great prospect because they have Curry, they have Thompson, they have Green, and those guys have a, you know, the window is shrinking with those three in terms of how long they'll be really good. And so I think they should be drafting someone who can fill a role immediately rather than someone who is going to be kind of a long-term potential type player. Um, and I think Wiseman could definitely fill a role for them. They need a rim protector. I worry, uh, you know, physically he's not that strong yet. Um, and we didn't really get to see him much in college. So they would be taking a little bit of a risk on him. He might be a guy that needs a few years to develop. They could also try to get, you know, some of these foreign players in the draft, like the guy uh, Denny from Israel or maybe the guy um, from France, Killian Hayes guys who have already played professionally show that they can compete physically. And then obviously they could also try to trade their pick, which I think could be an interesting move, go later on in the draft or get another veteran role player. How do you feel about a player such as LaMelo Ball? I'm personally a little bit skeptical about him because I think his shot selection is very poor. He's not a really elite level three-point shooter at 26%. While he did have a good free throw shooting percentage for his career in high school, um, I just worry that I'm not sure that you can put him at the point guard position. I think he's more of a two um, compared to Lonzo, who's definitely a one. I don't know. I mean, I, I definitely think he'll go top three in the draft, but I think he's going to have a little bit of an adjustment period to try to figure out the, the, you know, the dynamic between playing the one and the two. Let me know what you think about that. Yeah, that's interesting to think about. I think LaMelo is, are you asking in terms of him playing for the Warriors? I'm asking in terms of just like maybe just him just playing in the NBA in general. Like it doesn't really matter what team he goes to um, and that kind of stuff. We can get more into like where you think he should go, but just yeah. like, what, like just you can even just touch about that, like where you think he should go and um, you know, kind of where you see him fitting position wise in the NBA. So I haven't seen a ton of him um, playing professionally in Australia, but I've seen the highlights. He seems very ball dominant. And in today's NBA, there are actually a lot of players that are very ball dominant. In the playoffs, we've been watching 
uh, James Harden on the Rockets, and even Luka Doncic to some extent on the Mavs, and there are players on teams that aren't around like Trey Young on the Atlanta Hawks, very ball-dominant guards. I think LaMelo kind of fits that role. But one thing about the three players I just mentioned, Young, Doncic, and Harden, is that they're three of the most talented offensive players in the NBA. And I think LaMelo has a lot of potential to be a very talented offensive player, but he hasn't proved anything yet. And so I think for him to be able to play the way that I've seen him play in these highlights, he will actually need to live up to the hype. And if he doesn't, he'll need to learn how to play within a system. I think it'd be best for him to go to a team, in all honesty, that already has a system, has a coach that's going to force him to learn to play a new style, and he'll be able to gain a new skill set. Um, I, I worry sometimes there are players that come into the NBA who play on bad teams initially, and they never learn to play winning basketball. Um, and I worry that, you know, a guy like LaMelo Ball could easily fall into that trap. Yeah, that's a problem also with just teams like the Chicago Bulls or like the Minnesota Timberwolves, they want to select them at one. Um, it's just because those coaches are uncertain and also the cultures that have been built there are not necessarily winning cultures. Uh, but transitioning into another topic, you know, you're from the Boston area, Newton Mass to be more specific. I know you're a Celtics fan. How are you feeling about them going against the Raptors after what you just saw in the first round from both teams, and especially without Gordon Hayward being there for some time? Well, the Raptors look tough. They look really good. Um, they're playing some of their best basketball right now. And, and they know how to win games together. Um, it's the team that won last year, basically just minus Kawhi and Danny Green. They've had other players who've stepped up and elevated their games this season. Uh, I think they have great team chemistry. They share the ball on offense. And they're one of the best defensive teams in the NBA. I worry with the Celtics. I think the Celtics might actually, you know, in terms of the Celtics starting five versus the Raptors starting five, the Celtics might actually have more talent within those five players. However, the Celtics don't play as much as a team um, like the Raptors do. And I also worry about the Celtics depth. Um, for us to win games in the series, we need our star players, you know, Kemba Walker, especially uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to really score the ball. Because coming off the bench, we don't have much scoring. And if one of those three guys isn't getting it done, it's going to be hard for us to win games. So I think for the Celtics to win this series, we need uh, our, our three top guys, Brown, Tatum, and Walker, to play at their highest level um, for at least four of the seven games. Yeah, uh, transition to another team that looking like a contender. Obviously, the Clippers had a huge game five performance, and everyone's going crazy, kind of just discrediting the fact that they looked terrible for four games. Um, I don't know if you are on that bandwagon saying, okay, the Clippers have now proven who exactly they are. You know, now they're clearly going to win the NBA Finals. I'm on the position that I don't still trust Paul George. One game really doesn't speak enough for me. Um, but, you know, go ahead. What do you think about this kind of stuff? see the Clippers play at the level they played in game five more consistently when they're playing at that level they're going to be really difficult to beat I think we should keep in mind that Paul George has been up and down and in game five he played great um, and other role players in the Clippers had some of their best games as well Reggie Jackson shot the ball really well Marcus Morris is playing pretty well and so um, that was the Clippers best shot and they looked pretty darn good I will say the Clippers 
seem to be um, – they can be a very good defensive team when Pat Beverly's playing with them. Uh, Pat Beverly brings, I think, a sense of emotion that they sometimes lack. If you look at their star players, Kawhi and Paul George, you know, both very talented individuals, but not necessarily the most emotional players. And they have these other role players, such as Montrez Harrell and Patrick Beverly and Marcus Morris, who are very high energy. I think Pat Beverly, though, is kind of the centerpiece. I think he, of those three guys, is the starting point guard. Um, and he's guarding the other team's best player a lot of the time. And so I'd like to see what they can do when Pat Beverly comes back. Yeah, transition to another team in L.A., the Lakers. So I personally like A.D. and LeBron as a duo. I think I'm not really worried about them because I think A.D. has proven in the last couple of games that he can actually be relied upon. My issue with the Lakers is are you going to get that performance like you did in game four from their supporting cast? And based on the numbers, I would say you're not going to get that every game because they're, they are the one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the NBA. And the bubble, they've been the worst three-point shooting team. So – Tell me if you think I'm a little bit wrong there and that you do think you see the Lakers as the best team in the West. To be honest, I don't see the Lakers as the best team in the West. I think I would – I think I'm leaning towards the Clippers just because of their potential. You know, in a seven-game series, the Clippers just need to bring it together for four of those seven games. Um, and when the Clippers do bring it together, I think they're by far the best team. Again, like you said, what worries me about the Lakers is their depth and their role players. Um, and I think Kyle Kuzma has the potential to be a really great third player in this NBA. I worry that the Lakers don't really give him the opportunity to step into that role enough. They bring him off the bench. Uh, I never really see a big goal or uh, initiative to get Kuzma going in the games to try to get him his look, get his confidence going, get him in the swing of things. And meanwhile, it seems like Danny Green a lot of times is kind of that third option offensively. Danny Green's a great player. He's won multiple titles with different teams in the NBA. But if you look at those teams, he was never the third scoring option on those championship teams. He was always the fourth, fifth, sometimes sixth scoring option. And so I – and Danny Green is past his, his best season. So I think that, you know, it's, it's naive to imagine that the Lakers are going to be able to win with Danny Green as the third best offensive player. I think they need to get more production from other guys. And I think Kuzma has the best potential to be that third option. Shifting back to the Eastern Conference, I am not high on the Bucs, but I do think that they can get by the Miami Heat, even though Miami did beat them two out of three times, because the most recent time they did play, they did beat the Bucs did beat the Heat by 15 points coming back from a huge deficit. Tell me a little bit if you actually think the Heat could legitimately beat the Bucs or do you see the Bucs getting to the Eastern Conference Finals and playing your Celtics or the Raptors? That series will be the, the Bucs series to lose. Um, the Bucs are really, really difficult to defend because they have Giannis, who's one of the best guys at getting to the rim and finishing. And he really forces the defense to collapse and really try to send multiple defenders to protect the rim. And that leaves shooters open. And the Bucs have done a great job of building their team so that they have a lot of shooters around Giannis. We've seen in previous playoffs, though, those shooters haven't necessarily been consistent. Um, you know, Chris Middleton is a little bit like Paul George in these playoffs where he'll have one game where he's 30 points. And the next game, I think in the first in game one of the Magic series, he's, he had two points. 
So um, it's really important that the supporting cast for Giannis are making shots. I think defensively they're a tough team, but they need to find guys who are going to hit shots consistently because when that happens, they're really difficult to beat. I like the Heat, though, and I think even if the Bucks are playing at their highest level, the Heat are going to win some games. Um, they have a lot of experience with Andre Iguodala, Jay Crowder, Jimmy Butler, Goran Dragic. They also have a lot of youth with guys like Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo, and they're very deep. They have guys like Kendrick Nunn, who's a Rookie of the Year finalist, who can't even get off the bench right now. So the Heat are really deep. They know what they're doing. They're well coached. They shoot the heck out of the ball, and they're going to be really difficult for the Bucks to get by. The Bucks are going to have to play their best basketball to win. So I, I've been surprised by the Utah Jazz this playoffs. Now they did lose game five, but I think the battle between Mitchell and, and Murray has been something special to watch. Do you see whoever wins that series, Jazz or the Nuggets, giving the Clippers a legitimate challenge? Or do you see kind of like I talked to one other person about this, oh, them being a one-series fluke. They're going to play against the Clippers and lose in like five games, no problem. Murray and Mitchell has been so much fun to watch. And, you know, I was, I, I was kind of high on the Nuggets coming into the playoffs. I thought they were going to be a really difficult team to beat. And Murray has had two career games. He's had two games in the series uh, where he scored over 40 points and played phenomenally. And yeah. so I think that shows that the Nuggets didn't really have what it takes. The Jazz, on the other hand, are playing really good basketball. They're playing like a team. Rudy Gobert has really stepped it up. And Mitchell is playing as well as anybody in the league right now. And so I'd be interested to see if Mitchell can keep up this high level of play. I think if he cannot, then the Jazz are in trouble. You know, the Jazz have won these games with Mitchell playing so well and playing better than he normally does. And so I'd like to see if he can sustain that. If Mitchell can sustain that, the Jazz can go out there and they can take on anybody. And Mitchell's going to be the best player. But the Clippers are really good defensively. They have a lot of guys that can throw at Mitchell, Pat Beverly, um, Kawhi, even PG and Marcus Morris, I think, could, could try to guard him. And so, uh, you know, Mitchell's really going to have to play at a high level for them to win that series uh, for a lot of games. Can't just be one or two games. Just to wrap up here, this is a question, obviously, that I just, I just was thinking about during this podcast, but uh, because you just mentioned it, but the problem I see with the Clippers is that they are having – they did go well in game five, so I'll give them credit there. But Porzingis wasn't playing, and Luka has kind of torched them up the entire series. Now I think Luka is a much better player than Donovan Mitchell. But do you still see the fact that, like, they're – that Luka, a slow kind of, you know, guy who, like, plays his own pace, is getting to the rim and will, an issue when they're playing against a guy like Donovan Mitchell who's really quick at going to the basket? You don't see that as a potential problem for the Clippers going forward? I, I, you know, uh, I do see that as a problem now that you bring it up. And I'm remembering, too, that the Clippers don't really have a rim protector. Um, they have some good wing defenders, but if you are able to get by them, if you're able to get by them on a ball screen or on a closeout or a really good move in isolation, it's hard for someone to come over and block the shot. Um, however, I, I do think that Doncic is really getting worn out in this series. He's having to carry a lot of load for his offense, and he's having to work really hard to get his buckets. And uh, Mitchell, on the other hand, I think will have to do the same thing. And so, um, you know, it, Mitchell will have to sustain it and have, you know, uh, multiple great games for them to have a chance to win that series. And the Clippers are going to be able to throw a lot of different defenders at him and, and try different things. 
So just to wrap up here, just tell some people right now, like what you're in, like doing job wise. Um, I believe you're, I believe you're doing consulting. Um, but talk a little bit about that for people who don't really know a ton about that or just don't know a ton about what you're doing right now. Um, so I'm currently hanging out at the home I grew up in in Newton, Massachusetts. I have a job in consulting, like you said, at a company called LEK. They're a global consulting firm. They're headquartered out of London, and I'll be starting work in their Boston office in October. So uh, for a few hours a day, I go online. I do an online tutorial for Excel so I can learn how to use Microsoft Excel. And other than that, I'm just exercising outdoors, uh, going to play golf, and uh, learning how to, how to cook. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm really excited to to try something new. Consulting is something I did internships in, and I really enjoyed them. And I'm really excited to get my feet wet and join a new team of people and, um, you know, learn a lot more about the business world and learn a lot about a lot of different industries. That, that's great. That's awesome. Um, and Tommy, I want to thank you again for being on the podcast. You know, I appreciate the insight that you brought. And I wish you the best of luck with your job, man. And I look forward to keeping in touch for sure. This is so much fun. And uh, I love what you're doing with the pod. And I can't wait to keep listening to everything you do the rest of the summer and fall. Take it easy, Tommy. Good, good talking to you.